everybody. Welcome to the export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I would love to know how it's going with 2K23. You mentioned you changed your move set around. You got a new finisher. How's it going with the game? Oh, it's good. I, I'm at the point in the story where I got to pick between MVP and Randy Orton for a faction. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm leaning maybe towards MVP just because it's like, you know, Black Pride. I want to be with my brother. I get that. Uh, and also, like, I already know, like, if I get, if you team over and ran the hood, at some point, he going to turn on you. Yeah, so, of course. But, but, so that's where I'm at now. I kind of been, like, slow playing it because, you know, being a father, I don't have the free time that I have. I'm spending with family or trying to sleep as much as I can. But it's been fun so far outside of the few random times the game has glitched on me. Well, that's what's up. I'm happy it's going well. I mean, especially because I think we're both in the same boat. This is the first wrestling game that we've gotten in a while. And so happy to hear that we both are enjoying it so far. Speaking of things that we enjoy, Money in the Bank is this Saturday. I am very, very excited because it is my favorite pay-per-view of the year. Uh, Well, that's a lie. My favorite non-Big Four pay-per-view of the year. Uh, But kind of adding to that, we're going to do Money in the Bank predictions, or at least I'm going to be doing them with Ethan. I did them with Embryo, a.k.a. Chris Waters, and you can find that on YouTube. So we're going to do that. We're going to talk about some of the latest NFL news, more mostly Trey Lance, and whether or not he is going to be relegated to the bench throughout the course of this season with the 49ers. And then we are going to do our annual free agency predictions. But before we get to any of that, Please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and kick things off with money in the bank. Starting off with the undisputed women's tag team championships match. We have Ratface Rousey and Shayna Baszler defending their titles against Raquel Rodriguez and the returning Liv Morgan. Ethan, who you got? I think I'm gonna go Raquel and I hope that you're right. Um, I have Ratface and Shayna just because they just unified the titles this past Friday, and I have a hard time thinking they would just take the belts off in this soon. But again, I hope you're right. All right, moving on, we have Cody Rhodes versus Dominic Mysterio. Who you got? I'm gonna go Dominic. I think it's gonna be. Um, I definitely think it's going to be some form of outside interference, whether by real or maybe Damian Priest. And I think Dominic's going to pull out the W. So you think Dom gets the win? Yeah. Wow. Maybe I'm crazy because both you and uh, Embryo said uh, Dominic. I said Cody mainly just because how I see it happening is I think Cody wins, but then Brock Lesnar attacks him to set up an upcoming match for SummerSlam, which would be dope. All right, moving on to the Intercontinental Championship match. We have Gunther defending his title against Matt Riddle. Who you got? I think Gunther's going to pull it out. Uh, We are in agreement. I also think Gunther gets the win. All right, World Heavyweight Championship match. We have Seth Rollins defending his title against Finn Balor. Uh, I think Seth riding the wave. He has a huge momentum boost. And... I think 
angle of him and Finn kind of reliving the rivalry of the first Universal Championship match is cool, but I don't think Finn's going to get the W. I feel that. I also have Seth Rollins as well. This will be one of the matches where I, I genuinely feel like it could be the best match of the night just because Seth and Finn are two of the best in the biz today. So I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. But on when it comes to the end, I think Seth comes out on top. Now to arguably the biggest match on the card, we have the Bloodline Civil War, War where the Usos are taking on Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. Whose side are you on? I think this is going to be the best match on the card just because... No, nothing against Seth and Finn, but I think right now Roman is like the best in the biz. Seth is like shortly behind him, but I think in the form of a tag team match, when you pair like the Usos with anybody, it's always a golden match and just like the overall storyline. Mm-hmm. But I think I think right now Roman and Solo are going to win, just because I think it's going to be dragged out a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, we are in agreement. I also believe that it is going to be Roman and Solo. I kind of talked about this yesterday with Embryo, but essentially I just think that by having Roman and Solo win, it kind of helps to extend the feud. Because if the Usos beat Roman and Solo, it's kind of like, well, there it is. Like, the bloodline is over, over. Like, what more exactly can they do? And so I think that you could possibly play it with Roman and Solo losing, Roman going off on Solo, and then Solo pops off and attacks him. But, I mean, having three turns like that in the span of, what, a month, I think it kind of takes away kind of the excitement with it. I think it's better to have a slow burn. So, I think Roman and Solo get the dub. All right, moving on to the Money in the Bank match for the women. There are six competitors, and Ethan... Just a reminder, when it comes to multi-participant matches, you get two picks. You get who you want to win and who you actually think is going to win. And so who here is the field. It's EO Sky, Bailey, Becky Lynch, Zoe Stark, Zelina Vega, and Trish Stratus. Okay. Who, who I want to win is Becky Lynch. Okay. Who I think, who I think will win I'm also probably gonna say Becky Lynch. Dang, you're not gonna use your extra free pick. I mean, in like in my mind, uh, the only other person that I can see makes sense winning this match is probably Bailey. Okay. But she she hasn't had like any real momentum to even build up to making it understandable for her to win the match. That I can see that. Um, how I look at it is. Well, in terms of Bailey, she's been losing a lot lately, so I think a win would help to kind of boost her up and kind of get her back on track. But I I don't see it. But I think that there's another member of Damage Control who's going to end up winning, and that's EO Sky. But if I had my way, I would have Zelina Vega win. All right, moving on to the men's Money in the Bank match. Same rules apply in terms of getting that extra pick. Uh, it's Damian Priest. We're in London, so I'm not calling him by his current name. His name is Pete Dunn, and that's what he's going to be called. Santos Escobar, L.A. Knight, Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, Ricochet, and Logan Paul. Okay, this is actually tough. So who I want to, who I want to win, honestly, Ricochet. Who I think's actually going to win, L.A. Knight. 
Yeah, that's three for three. All of us said we think that LA Knight is going to end up winning. And I think that LA is the best overall choice. So we shall see. And then now, like we do with every pay-per-view, we have a tiebreaker. I apologize in advance because this tiebreaker is actually really tough. But I really could not think of anything else. And so the tiebreaker question is, who do you think will be the first wrestler in each Money in the Bank match to attempt to climb the ladder? Okay, the women's, I'm going to say Bailey. In the men's, I am going to say... Hmm. I'm trying to think. In the men's, I'm going to say Damian Priest. All right, bet. We will find out all of this this Saturday, I believe Money in the Bank is starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. I mean, 2 p.m. Central Time, um, since they go are going to be in London, which is going to make things a little bit screwy in terms of hours. But it's going to be a great card. I'm very excited to see how it all plays out. All right, but let's go ahead and move on to the NFL. I know we did things a bit out of order. Thank you so much for bearing with us. But let's go ahead and talk some roster moves. Not really much to report on. The Bills extended head coach Sean McDermott and general manager Brandon Bean through the 2027 season. Now, while Sean McDermott has gotten a lot of credit over the years for his production and how steady the team has been, Colin Coward made a controversial opinion saying that Sean Mc- there's an argument to be made if Sean McDermott is the fourth best coach in that division. Friendly reminder, the other coaches in that division are Mike McDonald with the Dolphins, Bill Belichick with the Patriots, Robert Sala with the Jets. So do you, where do you think Sean McDermott ranks in terms of AFC, AFC East coaches? Um, I think I would put him maybe at most at third. I think I might put, I'm not talking about historically, I'm talking about just in the context of like, Right now, I might put Mike McDaniel as first. Really? Then, I think he's a really good coach. Yeah, okay. He's he's quirky and weird from the standpoint of being a football coach. But I think he's just a really good coach. And I think, like, the quirky nerdiness people take away from him as a football coach because of that. But I think I might put him as one. Obviously, I think I'll still put Bill as two. Then I'll put, um, place him there, and Robert Salah will be last. Yeah, I'm going Bill. Not even just, I understand the Patriots haven't had a lot of success, but considering where their roster is in terms of the rest of the division, they still find themselves being very competitive. And, I mean, especially looking at offensively, they still find a way to beat teams that, arguably that shouldn't beat so I would put him one Bill Belichick one two I would go McDermott again the Bills are consistently good Mike McDaniel would be three just because the Dolphins started off hot last year and looked like arguably the most dangerous team going towards the end of the season but then snap your fingers and then they just looked really disheveled. Sure, they made it competitive against the Bills in the playoffs, but I'm not totally sold on Mike McDonald after just one season. So I will put him three, and then I will go Robert Sala four because he's been there, what, three, four years, and the Jets haven't done anything. Obviously, everyone's expecting this year to be different since they got Aaron Rodgers, but you gotta, I got to see it to believe it. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the potential of Saquon Barkley holding out this season after Contra disputes with the New York Giants. Turns out he may not be the only running back thinking about it. Turns out Josh Jacobs uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders may also be doing the same thing. NFL insider uh, Tom Pelissero had this to say on the Rich Eisen show. One situation that nobody's talking about is Josh Jacobs. At this point, if there's not a long-term deal, I don't anticipate Jacobs being there at the start of training camp, and I don't know that he shows up week one. So in your opinion, how worried would you be if you're the Raiders that Josh Jacobs would actually hold out at the start of the season? I think I'd be really worried simply because this will be the second player on offense that's the key player that might not be on the team, at least for training camp. Like we, we've heard about the whole Jimmy Garoppolo injury debacle, whereas depending on his physical or whatever, he might not actually even be on the team. And so, if you pair that with then thinking about like, hey, we might lose the guy that led the NFL in rushing, it was a huge focal point of our offense. Like, I would be really worried because then, let's say, you know, in, in an alternate universe, let's say Jim, the Jimmy Garoppolo thing does fall through, then now you're going to have a somewhat of a no-name at quarterback and you're going to need to lean on a guy like Josh Jacobs to get your offense going. And if he holds out, then what do you do? Right. Because, yes, you have you have a Devontae Adams, but if you don't have a quarterback that's good enough to get him the ball, you're going to need to lean on the run game to set up play action to then get your star receiver the ball. Yeah, and kind of building on that, I mean, when you look at when you look at what the Raiders are, like you said, you just lost your stalwart at quarterback when Derek Carr. You have Devontae Adams on the outside. Kind of question marks on around him with the potential of Hunter Renfro possibly being traded. Uh, you just brought over Jacoby Myers from the New England. Interested to see how he fits into the role. And nobody can deny the best offensive player, well, maybe. Arguably the best offensive player you had last year was Josh Jacobs leading the league in rushing for the first time in his career. And I understand that it feels like running backs are being so devalued across the board. But when you look at a team like the Raiders, like like you said, are so shaky with their passing game, you have to have a good run game to help to help take care of that. I understand they drafted a running back out of Alabama last year whose name I do not remember to save my life right now. And maybe you're expecting big things out of him. But when push comes to shove, I mean, if you have an all-pro top-tier player at a given position, it does not make sense to run the risk of losing them, especially when you know that you need them. So if I'm the Raiders, I would try to make something work. I know it's hard to kind of figure out what exactly the market is for running backs these days, but I would be very, very worried if I was them. So, Ethan, what do you think? Week one, is Josh Jacobs going to be suiting up for the Raiders? I think so. I think the thing of it is, from the standpoint of him, is I know he he wants a long-term deal. He probably wants, like, top running back money. But I think the thing that hampers him is, is you look at the highest-paid running back in the NFL right now. It's Christian McCaffrey. And with Christian McCaffrey, not only is he a great rusher, but he's a great pass catcher out of the backfield. And with Josh Jacob, he's a one-trick pony. Like, he's a dominant threat carrying the Brock, but he isn't that great of a pass catcher. So in order to get more money, 
and maybe a guaranteed contract, you're going to have to show an ability to catch the ball out of the backfield just as well as you run the ball between the tackles. So I think he's playing like he might be playing a dangerous game because, like, you, yes, you're a great – you can run the ball and you led the NFL in rushing. But in today's NFL, in order to get top money and, like, long guaranteed contracts, you have to do more than just run the ball. Right. So I feel like we're both going to say the same thing, but it's always fun to ask. In your opinion, which running back holdout would hurt the most? Saquon or Josh Jacobs? Uh, most definitely Saquon. Yeah, I would agree. I think, because I think we, I think with the Giants, like yes, they signed Darren Waller on this off season, but like we, Daniel Jones had a good season this past season, but a lot of it hinged, in my opinion, also on the production of Saquon and the threat that he was. And I think like with the Raiders, like even if you don't have Josh Jacobs in the backfield, you still have other weapons around that you could probably have some semblance of a, um, a successful offense. Like, you, you do still have Devontae Adams. You do, for the time being, have Hunter Renfro. You do have Jacoby Myers. You you drafted the tight end out of Notre Dame, um, Michael Mayer. And, like, you have other weapons outside of Josh Jacobs. But in the case of the Giants, it's kind of like you have Saquon, Darren Waller, who was a question mark going into this season, if he can regain his form and you don't really have anything else. Yeah, I agree with you on that. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to what we mentioned uh, a bit earlier with Trey Lance. I mean, he's a guy, just a few years ago, the San Francisco 49ers traded multiple first-round picks in order to trade up to third overall to select Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. Now, a few years later, it's looking like he might not be higher than the third quarterback on the depth chart. Reportedly, uh, Adam Schefter said, there was no trade market for Trey Lance, and the 49ers didn't have any trade talks with teams. Brock Purdy, if he's healthy, is the number one, and my guess going into camp is that Sam Darnold has the edge to be number two. It's not looking good for Trey Lance, which sucks because he does have a lot of potential. But in your opinion, do you think Trey Lance will end up spending the season riding the bench? I do. I think um, I think the 49ers, they took a really big gamble when they took him um, a couple of years ago as high as they did. I think they were riding on hoping that he could be the next Carson Wentz. Because, I mean, they, they went to the same exact college. Um, but I think the thing of it is, is when Carson Wentz went to Philly, they had Doug Peterson. And I know that Kyle Shanahan, he's a quarterback guru himself. But sometimes you miss. Like, and that's okay. And I, I think they made up, made up for it with Brock Purdy. But I definitely think that he's going to ride the bench. And it's just also hard, in my opinion, to gain momentum when it feels like every time that you touch the field, you're being taken off within a couple plays. So how can you really gain traction and say like, hey, I'm going to make some noise in this league when you can't stay healthy? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think he'll end up getting the second spot. I think he has the talent to overtake Sam Darnold. Because, I mean, let's be honest, it's not like Sam Darnold is a dynamo by any stretch of the imagination. So, I think he has potential to go ahead and get that second spot. Do I think he sees the field much at all? Probably not. 
So I think that this preseason is going to be huge for him. If he can ball out in the preseason and really start to turn some heads, that will allow him a great opportunity to show, hey, I deserve to be in this league. So if worse comes to worse, maybe the 49ers just, it does not work. But a big-name quarterback goes down, the team needs a backup in a pinch, and he could end up getting traded like that because of what he's able to show this offseason. That, to me, is the only way I think that he would find significant playing time because I just don't think it's going to happen in San Francisco. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of Believable or Buffoonier. We're going to start things off with Antonio Brown, a name that nobody's really mentioned that much lately. However, recently he joined Tyreek Hill on the podcast, It Needed to Be Said, and said this about Tom Brady and the conclusion of his not only Bucks career, but NFL career. He said, when we were about to play the Jets, and this week I was really hurt, he said. So I'm taking pictures to the coach. Like, if I'm going to win the Super Bowl, I'm going to need to take these last few weeks of the regular season at least to recover so I can be my best and we can win the Super Bowl. Bruce Arians was like, hey, man, we ain't resting. Uh, Antonio Brown added, Tom called me like, yo, this week, man, the Jets, man, they sweet, man. I'm going to hit you like 10, 12 targets, Brown said. So he's going to gas me up, you know, and that's all I need to hear. Like, yo, you going to throw me the ball. However, issue comes, he doesn't get a lot of targets. He gets upset, and then we get the infamous shirtless deuces sign up as he runs out of the field. I know it's not fair to put any of Antonio Brown's mistakes on anyone but Antonio Brown, but believable or buffoonery, Tom Brady was culpable in Antonio Brown's career blow up, or at least the last game and his actions leading up to it. It's hard for me to say that it's believable because like, even if Tom Brady said like, hey, I'm gonna throw you 10 to 12 balls, he said that before the game actually took place. Like, in my mind, you can say, in sports, you can say a lot of things, but then once you get between those lines and the game gets started, things change. Like, Tom could have had all the intentions of being like, I'm going to give you 10 to 12 targets. But then you look out on the field, and they're, the way that you're being covered, and you're not open, and Tom's the type of guy that he's not going to force a ball, but he's going to force a bad play just to appease the receiver. So I'm going to say buffoonery because I just think that, like, and to me it's also just the standpoint of, like, hey, like, they brought you on this team to be a um, a part of this group to help win, and you you took the selfish route. So I'm going to say buffoonery. I'll say buffoonery as well because I get it. You hear this and it sounds good. But I think by that point, had the Bucks already, like, clinched the spot in the playoffs I think they had and so I looking back at the situation everybody can agree like Bruce Arians he did actually tell Bruce Arians he wasn't healthy that part isn't wrong so I think I would have more of an issue with Bruce Arians as opposed to blaming Tom Brady and so because of that that's why I'm more so leaning towards buffoonery in that regard all right, moving on, we kind of talked about running backs a little bit ago. We talked about them a lot over the past few weeks in terms of just how hard of a position it is to play, not just physically, but also financially, because after you get your first few years in on your rookie deal, teams get very stingy. Melvin Gordon, in a recent interview, not only said that 
running back is the worst position to play in the league right now. But he also took a shot at Sean McVay, essentially saying he played a big role in the current devaluation of running backs, using Todd Gurley as an example. He said, in my opinion, I think that after Todd got paid and then the Rams coach Sean McVay came out and said, I will never pay a running back again. I'll just use them and rotate them out. I think after that statement was made and then I think they won the Super Bowl, it was just like everybody just followed suit. So, believable or buffoonery, Sean McVay not wanting to pay Todd McGurley has set the precedent on not paying running backs. I can see some belief in this. I think it's one of those things to where it's like, before Todd Gurley had the huge contract, like, Todd Gurley was the, a dog. Like, he was one of the best running backs for, I think, like, a good three years span. He got paid. And then, like, the health concerns started to come up. His production on the field declined. And then you look at it from the stance of, like, again, with the running back position, you can, in every draft, you can find a dynamic running back in any round. It doesn't matter if it's the first, the sixth, or the last pick in the draft. You can find, you can potentially find a running back that can make they can change their offense from a standpoint. And I think when Sean McVay realized it, he might have noticed, like, after Todd got hurt and he wasn't as productive, he was able to bring in guys like Darrell Henderson or Cam Akers and see, like, hey, these guys can be not as, just as productive, but they can be productive as well, and they don't have a bigger price tag. And so why am I going to waste money on this position when I can find guys for cheaper that can do similar things. And he just came out and said it. So I do think it's somewhat believable um, that he played a part in the devaluing of running backs. Yeah, and then I think adding on to that, because I remember that Super Bowl year, Jared Goff was cool, but everybody named Mama knew. Todd Gurley is the driving force that got him them there. But then he got hurt around the time of the playoffs, and that's when C.J. Anderson really stepped up. And I'm sure seeing that firsthand, like you said, kind of played a role in Sean McVay being like, we don't have to pay these good guys all this money. We could find other guys to kind of make it work. And, I mean, looking at the NFL now, of course you have your top guys, the Christian McCaffrey's, Derrick Henry's, um, Nick Chubb's, guys of that nature. But then you have other guys who kind of fall under the radar who are putting up big numbers and producing big games. And so I think that has played a role in it. But, all right, we're going to knock out these last three. The uh, next two questions are all Cowboys-related. First, starting off with Dak Prescott. Um, to start things off, Plaxico Burris, former wide receiver for the New York Giants, talked about Dak, um, Dak Prescott and said, Dak has reached his ceiling as a quarterback with the Cowboys. The Cowboys won't win a championship with him. So, believable or buffoonery, the Cowboys have reached, I mean, Dak Prescott has reached his peak as a player. Um, I, can, I think it's believable. I think last, some of last year, had to be attributed to the fact that he had like some injuries, but I don't think that he, I definitely think that he's plateaued is as best as he'll get um, as a player, and which is still pretty good, which now I think a big part of it is in years past the Cowboys have started to, have started to slowly solely rely on that and I think in the case of this year in particular, starting out like this 
this Cowboys team is probably the most complete team that they've had in a while. Right. When you look at it from the stance of like they have a good defense, they have on offense, they have a good running game, they still have a somewhat decent O line, and they have skilled position players that can make plays in the passing game. So now that in my opinion, this like I'm not saying I think the Cowboys going to the Super Bowl because I never think that and I never want that. But I think this year in particular could be the year that if they were to, if we were to look up and see the Cowboys make a run, it would be either this year or next because of the way that the team is currently constructed. Feel that. So that kind of ties into our next question. I'm going to say believable as well in terms of Dak reaching his peak. But uh, Demarcus Lawrence never shied away from hyping up his team. In a recent interview, he says that he doesn't feel that the gap between the Eagles or and the Cowboys are huge is huge at all. I think that's believable. I don't know if I necessarily say like they've closed the gap, but I'll say this. I feel like not to say that the Eagles aren't still a great team, but I feel like the Cowboys have made better overall additions this offseason to where I think that I still put the Eagles ahead of them, but I don't think it's a big separation between the two. I agree. I think that the like I think the Eagles have led in certain positions some of the guys that they let go. I mean they had to but they let them go. I think it's going to be effect, like affect them. Like one of them being, in my opinion, linebacker. Like I love Nakobe Dean. I thought he, I thought he was great coming out of Georgia. But letting T.J. Edwards go for free, um, and the other, I think they let go the other star linebacker as well. Like, yes, um, Kaiser White went to Arizona. Yeah. So, like in my opinion, like. Linebacker is on defense is what running back is on offense. Like that's another position that people devalue to a great degree. But the linebacker is the quarterback of your defense, yeah. and you're telling me that you're letting go of two guys that started a lot of games for you and like led out to a Super Bowl. You're going to just let them walk and then bring in a rookie, not even a rookie, a second year player that the only time he touched the field the past season was on special teams and he didn't really get that many snaps at linebacker. And you expect for, like, your defense to kind of still be the same level of defense. I that I don't think so. And they let go of some good offensive linemen. Um, what's my man that went to the Steelers? Isaac um, Yeah, like, they let him go. Like, they let go of some guys in, some, in my opinion, some key positions to where I still, like you said, I still think they're a really good team overall, but I think it's going to be a bit of a decline because of the positions that they let go. And in the case of the Cowboys, the Cowboys made additions to some key positions. Like, they added a Stephon Gilmore to play alongside Trayvon Diggs. Um, they added some defensive line play. Um, so, I, I think it's believable. Yeah, and I mean, you didn't even mention Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, which is another really big loss that the Eagles had. And so I think that because of that, that's I think that's going to help to narrow the gap a bit. So, yeah, no. Uh, again, Cowboys have made additions. I think that right now 
They look good. I'm not confident enough to say that I think they're better than the Eagles, though. All right, last question before we move on to the NBA. Will Compton, NFL vet, took to Twitter with an interesting statement saying, forget being a free agent. This list might be the best team in the league, and we should think about expansion. The list he's referring to are the current NFL free agents around the league. So I'm going to hit some of the top players, and you let me know if it's believable or buffoonery that this would be one of the best teams in the league. So at quarterback, you got Teddy Bridgewater. Your running backs are Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott. Your wide receivers are D-Hop, Jarvis Landry, Julio Jones. Your tight ends are Cameron Bray and a Mercedes Lewis. Your O-line is Taylor Lewan, George Font, Rodney Harrison, I mean Rodney Hudson, Ben Jones, Chase Ruler, and your backup quarterback is Carson Wentz, backup running back Kareem Hunt. And then defensively, your pass rushers are Yannick Ngakwe, Melvin Ingram, Matt Ioannidis, Dewan Smoot, your linebackers, Quan Alexander, Miles Jack, Will Compton, and Kyle Van Noy. And your secondary is Marcus Peters, Eli Apple, uh, Casey Hayward, Ronald Darby, John Johnson, Deron Hardman, Logan Ryan, and LaMarcus Joyner. Buffoonery, um, because a lot of those players that are on a, on their list, they aren't even really productive in, anymore. Like the only guys that are that you named, I just look at and be like, oh, they could be pro- still really productive in the NFL, like Dalvin Cook and D Hop. It may be one of a couple of those guys in the secondary, like Marcus Peters. But yeah, that's a no for me, dog. I would include Yannick Ngakwe in that because he is still a good pass rusher. But, yeah. I would say buffoonery on that, too. But it'd be a fun team, and I'm still... It's kind of crazy to think that there's this many guys out there who are free agents. Marcus Peters, come back to Baltimore. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA because... What a week in the NBA it has been. Starting off with some roster moves. The Minnesota Timberwolves just love spending money on big men. The latest being center Nas Reed, who they signed to a three-year, $42 million extension. And then there were many a trade, which we are going to grade. Starting off with one of the more recent ones, um, John Collins, a forward for the Atlanta Hawks, well, formerly, his name has been brought up in trade discussions for years now, but now it is official. The Hawks have finalized a trade, sending John Collins to, eh, to the Utah Jazz for Rudy Gay and a second round pick. Uh, Atlanta's largely unloading Collins' deal for some roster building flexibility and aligning with the looming changes to the salary cap. How would you grade this trade? Um, I think it's like a C for both, like overall. I mean, I understand it from the Hawks, you gotta get rid of a big contract. So I might give them like a, a B, just cause they're doing things that might potentially help set them up for the future. For the Jazz, I definitely think it's a C because it's like John Collins is a good player, but adding him isn't going to move the needle in any way, form, or fashion for you guys in the West. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially because what it, I don't even know what the Jazz are going to be because I feel like with Jordan Clarkson being a free agent, I heard Colin Sykes it could potentially be traded. I mean, Walker Kessler had a great rookie year, but I'm – like you said, I'm not really inspired by it. I mean, if you're the Hawks, I guess you are just kind of desperate to get his contract off the books. But it's like, it's crazy to think that's all they got in return. No disrespect to Rudy Gay, but it's 
kind of wild. All right, moving on to a three-team trade. Um, last week, we talked about the possibility of a three-team trade between the Clippers, uh, Clippers, Wizards, and Celtics. But that fell through because the Clippers apparently were worried about Malcolm Brogdon's injury. Someone said the Celtics had to get creative. And now the three-team trade was the Celtics receiving Kristaps Porzingis in a 2023 and 2024 first-round pick from Memphis. Memphis receives guard Marcus Smart. And the Wizards receive Tyus Jones, the 35th overall pick, and then forward Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala. So let's start off with your Grizzlies. How would you trade the how would you grade the acquisition of getting Marcus Smart? I think it's an A. It really, I think it's an A plus because you get first and foremost, you're going to bring in a guy that can change the locker room. Like before, I even talk about on the court at all. He's one of those guys where it's like he's coming in. He's an actual vet in this league. He's 29 years old. He's been to the NBA Finals. He's been in countless Eastern Conference Finals. He, um, like, he started in a, if I'm not mistaken, I think he started in 144, 141 playoff games in his career. He's been to the playoffs every season of his career. Like, when you look at the Memphis Grizzlies and you have this young team that has all the talent in the world, like, you need that type of guy in the locker room. Um, I remember, like, with Josh's first season, they had, and, like, people were like, when when it was in his rookie season, he wasn't doing any of this crazy stuff. He was just out. A big part of it had to do with, they had Jay Crowder, Crowder and Solomon Hill on the team. And those guys were, like, the vets in the locker room that were holding guys accountable. Marcus Smart is that guy. Like, Marcus Smart is the dude that told Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, two of the best players in the game today, that we like that they have to be better. They have to pass the ball. They can't like I they can't just be them two ice on the whole game. Like and that's what I think he'll bring to this team. And then from the on court side, he's gonna fit in perfect in Memphis because he's gonna be he's a great defender. He he's coming a year removed from winning defensive player of the year. He He's a capable offensive player. Like he can knock down, he can knock down a three at like a thirty-six percent clip from three, if I remember correctly. He can make plays as far as setting up an offense and passing the ball and moving the ball. Like he's a guy that, when you look at the context of what the Grizzlies needs, even though he doesn't fit the position, but he fits what they need. He's a guy that is going to be a great leader. And when it comes down to on the court, he's going to do all the dirty work that you need to do to win games. And so kind of building on that, it's interesting that you mentioned that because through since the trade, a lot of comparisons have been made, some between Marcus Smart and Dylan Brooks and the comparisons between their game. But there's also been a comparison between Smart and a Memphis legend and Tony Allen. Um, for example, they both went to Oklahoma State, both went to the NBA Finals with Boston, both made first team all defense, both joined the Grizzlies at 29, and both are guards who can defend anybody. So do you feel like Marcus Smart could potentially be the 2020s version of Tony Allen for the Grizzlies? 100%. And to be honest, they discredited Tony, 
big like key to Tony Allen, because Tony Allen was supposed to win defensive player of the year that Marcus All won it. But right. we ain't gonna talk about that. Right. But uh, but a hundred percent he's going to be I think he's gonna be Tony Allen reincarnated in Memphis. And I mean that's a win right there, because I mean Tony Allen's a bad dude. I mean Cody Kobe Bryant himself said that Tony Allen was the toughest defender he ever went against. So if that's not high praise, I don't know what is. Um, but continuing on, going back to trades, Christoph Porzingis, it was pretty clear that the Celtics wanted to do whatever they could to bring him in tow. They did just that. How would you grade the Celtics' acquisition of him? I'll give it, I'll give it a B because I think he will be a good compliment for the Celtics because he's a big that you can run, pick and roll, pick and pop. Um, he's a good offensive presence. He's a good rim protector. Um, but just because he's seven foot three, like I think he's a really good complimentary piece. He can kind of open the court up for um, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. I mean, not Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because, like, because he's a he can shoot the three. Teams can't necessarily clog the paint. I think when you had like in the you can see when they had the Al Horford, um, Robert Williams lineup, because Robert Williams wasn't necessarily a shooter, you could kind of pack the paint a little bit and it can get congested. And now you bring in a guy that can protect the rim like Robert Williams, and he can also on offense step out and shoot the three. So I would give it a B, a B plus. The only reason I wouldn't grade it higher is because Porzingis is very injury prone. My I don't hate the move itself. It's just my question is, for years, it's been clear that the team has needed a point guard. And so now in losing Marcus Smart, not only are you making that need bigger, but it's like it doesn't seem like they've been in that big of a rush or have taken steps to finding one. And so, like I said, I don't hate this move overall. It's just like, like you said, Kristaps Porzingis is talented, especially these last couple of years. It seemed like he's really kind of hit his stride in Washington. But injuries are a big thing, and that's the last thing that the Celtics need to deal with, especially because you got Grant Williams who's coming off of surgery, no telling if he's going to be ready by the start of the season. And then center Robert Williams is always hurt. And so because of that, I don't totally love it. I gave it a C, but I think that it could potentially be a good move. But I'm still... It's one of those things where I don't think it's going to help the Celtics get over the hump, especially because they're going to have a lot of contract questions coming up sooner rather than later. And I can see this potentially be like a one-year fix because you still got to worry about Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum coming up in the future. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to probably the biggest trade of them all. Um, the Phoenix Suns, as we all know, traded Chris Paul to Washington and as a way to get Bradley Beal. And now Chris Paul finds himself on the move again. He is headed to Golden State in exchange for Jordan Poole, a 2030 protected first round pick and a 2027 second round pick. So let's start off with the Chris Paul aspect. How do you like, how would you grade the fit of him with the Warriors? Um, I think it, I think him and the Warriors, it'll be good just because it's like, I think in this playoffs, the Warriors realized that like they need to, they need, they needed more veteran presence, like outside of Steph and Draymond. Like I think Jordan, Jordan Poole had a really bad NBA playoffs this yeah, past it was, year. It was terrible. And I think 
the Warriors were kind of like, hey, if we would have had a guy that's a vet that could make smarter decisions, take better shots, then we might have gone farther. And I think that's what they doubled down on Chris Paul. And it's also like you can – with Chris Paul's contract being – I think his contract got bought out maybe. No, he got traded. That's right. I'm sorry. But – but I think it'll be a good fit, um, just because he's a he's an ultra competitive guy. He's hungry because he still hasn't won a championship, and I mean, I think he knows he he's firmly placed as the the backup point guard. He's at that point in his career where he doesn't necessarily have to look to be the starter. And you mean to tell me like you go from having Steph Curry? as your starting point guard to then Chris Paul as your backup. Like, that's a dangerous one-two punch in point guard. So I think it'll be a good fit. Do you think it helps their helps them keep their championship window open? I think if they re-sign Draymond, it will. That's fair. I, this is another move that I don't totally love. I like it from the veteran aspect, and I like it from the perspective of if you're Chris Paul, I mean, you've been a team – You've been hunting for a ring, and this team is one of the best at getting them in the past decade. I don't think I don't think Chris Paul moves the needle too much just because we just talked about it with Porzingis. But Chris Paul is always hurt during the playoffs. Always. And I think that, yes, Jordan Poole was terrible this past playoff race. But it's like one of those things where do you want to bet on inconsistency with Jordan Poole or the unavailability of Chris Paul? And I think that the Warriors decided that they take their chances with Chris Paul. I think he's solid to lead their second squad. And I think that in a pinch, if Chris, I mean, if Steph Curry can't play and you have to get a start out of Chris Paul, he can help you. But it's not like he's going to drop 20-some a night. He's just going to be one of those great passers and use his court vision to help out. But I'm not totally sold on it, so I gave it about a, I give it a C plus. But right from the Jordan Poole perspective, essentially he's just going to be the new version of Bradley Beal. The Wizards aren't going to win anything. I like them getting Tyus Jones, but now he gets an opportunity where he doesn't have to sit backseat to anybody. He kind of gets the keys to the franchise, and he can go ahead and put up crazy numbers or have bad nights, but it'll be under much less of a microscope than when he was in Golden State. So for that, I give it a B plus because I like the move for him. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you stated, he's gonna put up good numbers, but it's not gonna equate to anything. So good for him. Yeah, and he's still getting paid, so that makes one of us. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our NBA draft recap. Unfortunately, I was unable to watch the whole draft. I don't know how much of it you were able to catch. Um, so we're gonna keep the questions real basic. Hopefully, you could. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I didn't watch any of it because I wouldn't have played basketball myself. Want to drive along? Understandable. I was at work. All right, so let's just start off with the top. With what was your favorite pick? My favorite pick. I mean, I would probably have to say I did. I really liked the Brandon Miller to the Hornets. I thought, even though it was an obvious pick, but you know, when you have an organization like the Hornets. You never know if they're going to do the smart thing. So, I really like that pick. I, I'm going with the pick selected right after, and that's Scoot to the Trailblazers. 
I know there's still so much going on with Damian Lillard and whatever the hell is happening with that situation, which we're not going to get into. But I think that either way, I think the Trailblazers made a good pick, whether Dame stays or goes. I like the potential of Scoot. Potentially, um, the him and Anthony Simons kind of taking on that leadership role and it becoming their team, depending on what the future holds. Either way, I like his swagger. I like his game. And I think that he can provide some new life to the Trailblazers if you know, he who should not be named decides to stay. Um, for you, what was the most surprising pick if you had one? Um, the most surprising pick. I'm actually gonna say Scoop because it just one of them things to where it was like the whole lead up was like, oh, Portland's gonna try to speak. Portland's gonna try to speak. Portland's gonna try to speak, and then they kept it and they picked him, and now it's like you kind of stated like the domino effect of what this is going to look like. It's just because I thought they were just going to double down and try to run it back with Dane and try to get veteran pieces, but they decided against it. Yeah, so that was weird. For me, the biggest biggest surprise was Imani Bates slipping all the way to 49. Like, I didn't think he was going to go, like, high first round or anything, but I could have seen him go late first, early first, I mean, early second. So for him to fall in the Cavs' lap, I thought was a really good move. Um, In your opinion, who do you think was the biggest steal of the draft? The guy that you just said, Imani Bates. Like, I think he's a guy that you can look up and you can see in a couple of years, like, I don't think he, he might, I don't, with the way that the Cavs are constructed, I wouldn't necessarily think that he might be a starter, but I would not be shocked if we looked up we saw a money base. It's like one of the best six men in the NBA. I could absolutely see that. All right, moving on to uh, the biggest, my biggest deal. I'm going to say G Jackson to the Grizzlies. Amani Bates was definitely up there as well, but I didn't want to mention him twice. Um, I know with so much going on with Ja right now and just the Grizzlies trying to kind of get out of that shadow and just go ahead and move on with their offseason. I like Gigi out of South Carolina. I think he's one of those guys where when he was on, he was on. And, of course, I don't think he's going to, like, become a starter anytime soon or anything like that. But kind of like you said with Imani Bates, I think that he could provide a nice spark coming off of the bench, um, especially if he's able to go ahead and make that full-time roster and get to see some significant time on the court. All right, who was your draft winner? Draft winner? I feel like it's the obvious answer, Victor Wimbledon. Like, you got to go number one overall. You got to go to even though they have had down years in the past, you still get to go to a great organization in the Spurs, and you get to be coached by one of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, and that's just something that most people aren't afforded, especially going into their rookie year. And, like, the Spurs, they have they, – they actually have good players on their team. They just think – and they didn't play them because they were winning games. Yeah, I would go with – I'm going to go with the team, and I'm going to say the Houston Rockets. Um, I like them getting Amon Thompson. And then on top of that, they were able to get Cam Whitmore with the 20th overall pick, Villanova, Villanova star. I think that those two can really make some magic happen with this team because who knows what this team is going to look like. We've heard so many reports about James Harden coming, and then they have the most cap space, so maybe they could make a play for somebody like Austin Reeves or Fred Van Vliet or who knows. But these two picks, especially early, I feel like if they don't end up bringing in big free agent names, could go ahead and turn some heads. But all right, what is your biggest question following the NBA draft? Um, I'm going to 
Um, I mean, the obvious answer is where is Dame going to end up? But my biggest question following the NBA draft is how how big, how much of a honestly, how good is Wimbiama going to be his rookie year? Like we they 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 dubbed him as the best prospect since LeBron, yada yada yada, and. To me, it's just like I can understand the hype, but you're putting all this hype around the dude that's incredibly tall. Um, when we know guys that are his height never have good health um, history in the NBA, and he's also like 210 pounds. How, and so, like at least with LeBron, when you looked at him coming in as a prospect, LeBron was already a grown man size coming into the NBA like he was 6'8 235 and he was solid but like Victor Wimbiama is like a stick so like what's it gonna look like going up against a guy like Giannis who's a grown man that's my that's my biggest question uh, my biggest question is Outside of the top three selections, who is going to break out? We see it every year. You know, you get these really big-name guys, and everybody's expecting them to have great rookie seasons. And then it seems like kind of everybody else kind of falls by the wayside. I want to see which prospect or prospects this year are really going to turn some heads and entrench themselves in that rookie of the year conversation. Because how often is it that the guy who everybody thinks is going to be rookie of the year actually wins rookie of the year. It's not always that common. Last year with Paolo, that was sure. But then the rest of the field, nobody really was expecting guys like Walker Kessler and, you know, Jalen Williams and other guys to really break out the way that they did. So I'm excited to see this year who those guys are going to be. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of Believable or Buffoonery. We're going to do the order a little bit differently because we got those free agency predictions. So it's become so common, especially with basketball fans, to compare legends of a certain era and talk about what they would be able to do in a different era. And usually, you and I, we don't really give it too much credence. But when it comes from the words of Dennis Rodman, it makes it a bit more interesting. Uh, Recently, he talked about uh, Larry Bird and said if Larry Bird played in this era I think he'd be in Europe there's no way I think the kid from Denver speaking of Nikola Jokic is way better than him so believable or buffoonery Larry Bird would be a nobody in today's NBA <sighs> being honest I agree wow. I think I think like the speed, if you if you take Larry Bird from when he played, put him in today's NBA, just plop him right in, he would not be Larry Bird. No. At most, he, I, think he, he won't, I think he might not play in Europe because he's 6'9". At best, I think he'll be like a, a good stretch power forward that might get a couple of highlight passes here and there. Like, let me think. A comparison. Uh, Maybe Kyle shit. Kuzma? Nah, I would think more. At best, I could see him being a guy kind of similar to Kyle Anderson. Ooh. That could play, but Ashley could shoot. Dang. That's, no disrespect to slow-mo, but dang. Okay. I'm just, I love slow-mo. But I like when he came out of UCLA. 
but that's what I would see him being more like comparable to. Like I would not see him coming into this game and being like an all-time great player. Like I see him being a really good role player. Yeah, I would say that before I would say like a nobody. I don't think he'd be in Europe or anything. So I'm not fully going to say it's believable, but I, I can see some truth to it. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. We'd have no clue what's going to happen with Damian Lillard. Don't really care. However, it's reported that his dream scenario would be that the Portland Trailblazers re-sign forward Jeremy Grant and sign Draymond Green. So for all intents and purposes, let's say that's actually how the Trailblazers offseason panned out. Believable or buffoonery, a big three comprised of Dame, Jeremy Grant, and Draymond would help the Blazers make a deep playoff run. I'm calling big buffoonery, but I just want to hear your take. No. I mean, Jeremy Grant's a good player, and Draymond's Draymond, but I don't think that, like, that will propel them to a deep playoff run. I think, like, one of the things is, like, if you if you keep Draymond, if you keep Dame, Anthony Simons, all those guys, one thing, like, you have a, they still have a small backcourt. Like, Dame's, what, 6'3", 6'2", Anthony Simons, 6'3", 6'2", Who's going? And then if you keep Scoop, like he's six two, like what guards are you going to have to defend? Like, are you going to start Draymond in center, or is he going to come off the bench because him and Jeremy Grant essentially play the same position? You can't really move Draymond to small. You might be able to move, I guess, Jeremy Grant to small forward, maybe. But he's he's a better power forward than small forward in today's NBA. So I don't think so. Yeah, so realistically, I could maybe see this team getting to the second round of the playoffs, and that's a big maybe. Yeah, maybe. Depending on who they run into. Yeah, exactly. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. Um, In a recent interview, Tobias Harris got pretty candid about the trade speculation surrounding him and the 76ers over the years and said this. Casual Sixers fans, they'll trade me for a crumble cookie. You're not getting a 6'9 forward back who can damn near shoot 40% from three, guard other teams' best players, and play 70 games of the year. A lot of conversations about whether or not Tobias Harris deserves more respect. We can leave that for another day. But let's look at long-term, because, again, Tobias Harris's name has been brought up a lot in trade conversations. Believable or buffoonery, Tobias Harris will be a 76er next season. Uh, I, I don't think so. I think the only way he'll stay a 76er is if they sign, like, is if they re-sign James Harden. But if the 76 to say, like, we're going to go out and get a trade for somebody, he's going to be included in that trade package. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I'll say this. If it's going to take – I'm trying to remember what was the graphic I sent you with the Cavs. I think they were – had mentioned to the Cavs, like, it would take, like, Evan Mobley. Who was it? Evan Mobley. I think uh, – Jared Allen was included in that too and like some first in order to actually trade Tobias Harris and if that was actually the case nah he would be a 76er forever because nobody's giving up all that for Tobias Harris no way in hell but keeping things in Philly it'll be interesting to see how much longer people decide to trust the process and it's gotten to the point where frustrations are coming about if they can even win a championship in Philly uh Kendrick Perkins in a recent 
interview said if in referring to the 76ers and Joel and B he said if they don't get it done I don't see why Joel and B should show any more loyalty to the Philadelphia 76ers so believable or buffoonery Joel and Beats should look to move on from Philly if they don't win a ring this year um, I mean sure I think it's hard to say that because also a big part of the reason why they haven't won in seasons past was because of Joel Embiid's health during the playoffs and his conditioning in the stretch of games. But I also understand, like, this, like this past season playoffs, I mean, that wasn't – I don't feel like that was solely on him. I think it was more so on the coach. But, yeah, go off. I think – I'll say that especially with today's NFL and how – I mean, not NFL, NBA, and just how fickle front offices are, it would not shock me if the front office was more so like we want to move on from Joel and B before Joel and B said he wanted to leave. Just because teams, if you're looking at it, what he's been in the league almost a decade, and while he has been very productive, he just won his first MVP award, everybody knows that he's a good player. But if the 76ers feel like we're not really going nowhere and it's better to just go ahead, cut the cord, and start a rebuild – I could see them make that decision faster than Joel Embiid being like, I want to get up out of here. Because even still, if you're Joel Embiid, where do you think you would go realistically and have more of an opportunity than where you are now? And like I said, I I don't really see that happening. But all right, a couple more questions before we do these free agency predictions. After the Nuggets won their first ever NBA championship, it had a lot of people hyped up, excited for the possibility of winning their own NBA championship. Most notably, Trey Young took to Twitter after the Nuggets won and said, we're up next, which, no. But the rookies are getting in on the fun, too. Brandon Miller, in a recent uh, interview following being drafted by the Hornets, said, I see the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA Finals next year. I'm not even going to waste your time and ask you if you agree, but I will ask you, is it believable or buffoonery that the Hornets will make the playoffs this upcoming season? No. Because, uh, I mean, like, if you look at the if you look at the East, it's eight teams. I can still now name eight teams that I feel like will probably make the playoffs above the Hornets. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Milwaukee, Philly, I can still see Chicago. Uh, Miami, Miami, Boston, uh, Boston, Brooklyn, maybe. I can see Brooklyn making it. Um, and I would say the Knicks. Yeah, the Knicks and the Cavs. Yeah, so I don't see. It. I don't either. All right, last question, Kevin Durant. Everybody has a different opinion about Kevin Durant, and they all seem to kind of hinge on one thing. It would be very important for him to win another championship, so much so that Chris Mad Dog Russo on first take said, to get KD to that iconic level, I think he needs to win a championship by himself. So, is it believable or buffoonery that Kevin Durant needs another ring to establish himself on that iconic level? Because honestly, I think it's believable. Um, I do too. I think it's just one of those things to where I think KD is honestly an icon in his own right. But I think to establish him as an icon and like the overall perspective of what everybody else views as an icon, I think he'll have to win another ring. 
Yeah, because it's kind of like we talked about like Melo being a street champ, like when he his retirement was announced. Everybody knew that Melo was a killer. Everybody knew that Melo was a bad dude. But the same can be said for Kevin Durant. But it just feels like I can't think of another recent NBA superstar whose ring felt tainted. Like, yes, he won rings in Golden State, but it's like, it's you're not questioning, like, that he won them. It's just like, look at the team he joined to do it. And so, had he won one in Brooklyn, or maybe if he was to win one in Phoenix, I think that would kind of change the conversation. But, yeah, I think he has to get his own to go ahead and change his the overall perspective on him. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our NBA free agency predictions. For those of you who do not know how this works, here is a quick rundown. We are going to go through the top 15 NBA free agents, and we are going to talk where we want to see them go, but where we realistically think they will end up. And to kick things off at number 15, we have former Lakers guard D'Angelo Russell. Ethan, you can kick us off. Okay, um, where do I want to see him go? I probably would say Brooklyn. Where do I think he goes? Um, I think the Lakers might resign him if they're not able to get any of the other guards. Yeah, I, I we're in agreement on where we think he ends up. I think LA ends up getting him. If not for another reason, I don't think we're going to land any of these other big name uh, point guards unless Fred VanVleet want to come through. Um, but I would like to see him with the Suns. Obviously, I think he would have to come off the bench. But kind of like we talked about with Chris Paul, like being that second, that backup point guard who can really help to lead that second unit and make big plays as needed. All right, next up, 14th, we have former Nugget guard Bruce Brown. This one for me is easy. I'd like to see him with the Nuggets, and I think they're going to find a way to get him a long-term extension sign. That's fine. All right, number 13, we have Lakers shooting guard a restricted free agent, Austin Reeves. The Lakers extended a qualifying offer, but obviously teams are going to try to match it. Where do you want to see him end up? Where do you think he ends up? Where do I want to see him? Honestly, after him coming to Memphis and yelling out, I'm him, I really don't want to see him in the NBA at all. (laughs) Where do I think think he ends up? I think he ends up back in L.A. Um, I mean, look, I, I I hated it for you and fellow Grizzlies fans. But, look, we need shooters. I've seen what this team looks like without shooters, and Austin Reeves is a shooter. I know it's going to be expensive to try to keep him in tow, but I want the Lakers to do it, and I think the Lakers will be able to. All right, moving on to uh, former Jazz guard Jordan Clarkson. What do you think? What do I think? Um, Where I want to see him, I don't know how it'll work out, but I wouldn't mind seeing him in Phoenix coming off the bench. What do I think he ends up probably resigning with the Jazz? I want him in Miami. I mean, we saw last year just – I mean, not last year, but in the playoffs, they need an, an extra score. They need another explosive offense producer. And, I mean, when you look at the Heat and Jordan Clarkson, it seems like he'd be a good fit. But, like you, I think he does just end up going to, to the Jazz. All right, next up we got former Wizard Kyle Kuzma. Where do I want him to end up? I really don't care. Uh, so, I would say maybe the Mavericks. Where do I think he ends up? That's tough because I think he's going to want a big contract. Uh, 
maybe Charlotte if they have the cap on. Um, for Kyle Kuzma, you probably wouldn't like this, but I wouldn't mind seeing him on the Grizzlies. I mean, they need a wing to help replace Dylan Brooks, and I mean, he is a guy coming off of one of his best years, dropping, I believe, over 20 points per game. SEC a bit inconsistent, sure, but I think offensively he could provide the Grizzlies with the boost. But realistically, I could see him end up going to the Hawks. I think you could probably bring him in on a slightly cheaper deal than what John Collins got, and he could kind of come in and take the position that uh, Collins was playing for them. But all right, next up, I had Nikola Vucevic here, but it literally just came out that him and the Bulls just signed a three-year, $60 million extension. So on the fly, we're switching him with the guy you know well, and that is Dylan Brooks. Where do I want him to go anywhere besides the Grizzlies? Where do I think he ends up? Being honest, I think he might end up on like whatever, like a bottom feeder team that just needs a defensive win. For me, I would like to see him in. I think it would be dope seeing him in uh, the Pistons or like a young team like the Pistons because, yes, Dylan Brooks says some stupid stuff, but I think that he could be one of those fiery veterans that you kind of bring in to kind of push your rookies and kind of toughen them up a little bit. So I think the Pistons could be a nice spot for him, but I think he ends up with the Raptors. I'm still on the bandwagon of I think a slight rebuild is coming, and I think to kind of like soften the blow and provide, like you mentioned, that defensive way, he could go up there and kind of help them out in that regard. All right, now we're at number nine, and we are to uh, former Buck center Brooke Lopez. Where do I want to see him? Um, I want to see him back in Milwaukee. Where do I think he is? I think he is back in Milwaukee. Yep, same here. All right, we got number eight, Nick shooting guard, uh, Josh Hart. Now, he does have a player option that he could opt into to stay with the Knicks. But for the sake of conversation, let's say he's free as a bird. Where do you want? Where do you think? Both Knicks. I want him with the Lakers if for some reason we are unable to bring back um, Austin Reeves. I loved him a lot, actually, when he was originally a Laker. It kind of sucked when we ended up trading him to New Orleans and that whole switch came. However, who knows if that's actually going to happen because I think in the end he does end up back with the Knicks playing with Jalen Brunson. All right, number seven, we got Raptors guard Fred Van Vliet. What do I want? I'm not going to lie. I don't want many good things for the Lakers, but I, I wouldn't mind him going to the Lakers. Where do I think he ends up? I think he might end up in Miami. I wouldn't be mad about Miami. It would be interesting to see if they want to go down the Raptors point guard well again. Uh, but for sake of conversation, I think that I want him in L.A. I would love him in L.A., uh, but I think he ends up going to the Rockets. I talked about a little bit ago that they do have the most uh, cap space of any team. And because of that, I think that's going to help them to entice some free agents, especially because you don't really know if you can really trust Kevin Porter at this point of his career. But all right, top six, we are now with Trailblazers forward Jeremy Grant. Where, where do I want Jeremy Grant? Uh, Portland, I think he might end up back in Portland. Yeah, I would agree. I'll say this. I want him in Portland if Dame stays in Portland. 
but I think either way he ends up in Portland. All right, now we are at the top five. Kicking it off with my favorite player in the league today, Clippers point guard Russell Westbrook. What do I want him? Either re-signing with the Clippers or Miami, maybe. What do I think he ends up? I think he might end up back on the Clippers. The only reason why I didn't say I wanted him in Miami is because he doesn't exactly fit what they need. They need a shooter. And as much as I love Russ, he is not that. But he is a great culture fit, so I wouldn't be mad to see it at all. I don't want the Clippers to have nothing in this life, but I love seeing him there. And it seemed like it was a good fit for both sides. So I want that to work out, and I think it will end up working out. All right, next up, we got Warriors power forward Draymond Green. What do I want him to end up? It's tough because I actually wouldn't mind him actually coming to Memphis. What do I think he ends up? I think he ends up resigning with Golden State. I'll say I want and think he ends up with the Warriors. I just, at this point, I get it. I'm sure other teams are going to court him and try to sweet talk him. But I mean, you've been rocking with the Warriors since what, 2012? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Especially if they're willing to give you the money that you want. All right, top three. We got former Bucks small forward Chris Middleton. Mm, what do I want? It just, honestly, he's one of them dudes where I think he'll look weird in the jersey, so I'm just going to say Milwaukee for both. I don't really care that much exactly where he would go. I think he'd be productive just about anywhere, but I, I think that Milwaukee, it would be tough for them to let him go and possibly lose Brooke Lopez in the same offseason. So, yeah, I would say Bucks for both as well. All right, we got former 76er James Harden, who does have a player option that he could opt into. He already said he wasn't going to, but still. Personally, I don't really care. I don't have to see him play another NBA game. Y'all know I'm not a fan. But realistically, I think he ends up re-signing with the 76ers. Fine. All right, and last but not least, we have former Maverick guard Kyrie Irving. What do I want, Kyrie? Um, honestly, LA. What do I think he ends up? I'll say I think he might end up resigning with the Mavericks. I want him with the Heat because it came out that before the trade deadline, the Heat were really aggressive in trying to get him before he ended up getting traded to the Mavs. I would love to see him and Jimmy Butler on the court together. So, perfect world. That's what I want to see. But realistically, I think it's going to be the Mavericks just because I have not really heard a peep about any teams being that interested in him. And I get it because he comes with, I don't, I don't know if I would say baggage, but he's definitely one of the more polarizing figures in the league today. And I can understand teams not really want to deal with that, especially coming at the high price tag. So because of that, I think he does end up with the Mavericks. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the Export.net. I repeat the Export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow Export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Um, This might be a, a somewhat, I don't think it's super controversial, but it might be a controversial statement. 
So in my reacclimation to WWE, I've watched. I've just been watching like a lot of old matches on YouTube. Mm-hmm. In me doing that, I think that the Undertaker is the best wrestler in the history of wrestling. It's funny you say that because quite literally, I asked my friend who I do the wrestling stuff with who he thought was the GOAT and he said Undertaker too so I that's a respectable answer I mean not only is he one of the most iconic wrestlers of all time but he also has some of the most longevity of anybody in any sports profession anything so I can't really disagree with you I mean I still stand on Shawn Michaels but absolutely respect the Undertaker as well but, uh, yeah, again, thank y'all so much for listening. We will be back with y'all next week. Um, take care. Be blessed. Very excited to see how free agency shakes out. Hopefully, my Lakers, your Grizzlies make some good moves. And um, we will see you all next time.